Hey everyone, welcome back to the Where Others Won't podcast. This episode is part of my birthday special, which is a mini season of seven new interviews that I'm releasing on May 25th. But before we dive in, I've got a couple of great deals to tell you about from people that I've interviewed on the show before. I know a lot of us are spending time reflecting on what matters, and many of you have told me that you're planning on making some big changes in your life. If you're feeling stuck and looking for a push to help you find what's next or just someone to help crystallize the path you're already on, I recommend you listen to my interview with Laura Gassner-Otting and then go and sign up for her brand new Limitless course. LGO just has such a refreshing, no BS perspective on the world and she's been through the ringer. So she's the perfect person to coach you through the changes you want to make in your life. So go to heylgo.com forward slash where others won't. So that's hey, like hey, as in g'day, lgo.com forward slash where others won't and check out the Limitless course. Or if you live in the United States and you just want some kick-ass coffee delivered to your house, head to bluestonelane.com and use wow25 at checkout. Bluestone have been great supporters of mine. And let's be honest, coaches love coffee. Now, enjoy the show. Coach Tony Granado, welcome, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Cody. How are you today? I'm fantastic, mate. I was telling you, I'm sitting across from the Hockey Hall of Fame right downtown, center of the hockey universe, they call it. I know your your sister is uh, is in she that is. enshrined my, in that place. My sister is in there. I, I don't remember the year. Probably about uh, ten years ago, she was inducted. Uh, so, from a family perspective, that was pretty exciting to see your little sister up on up on the podium receiving the honor of being inducted in the Hall of Fame. So she, she had a nice run. She played with the U.S. Olympic team and, and uh, was one of the first players to break through and kind of become a name in the women's side of things. Ironically, though, I was, I was kind of going through all the shows that I've done. I think I've done 60-odd, and you're the first hockey coach. I've had hockey people. I've had the Angela Ruggieros, and, and, and uh, I've had Meg Popovic from the Leafs, but... I haven't had a hockey coach on yet, so here we go. Yeah. You'd be the first one. (laughs) You've got such a unique story in that you came out of your pro career, uh, you had a great career, and then you were literally shot out of a cannon from a coaching perspective. So I wanted to ask you about that. Just tell us the story, what happened, and then reflecting on that now, whether maybe that helped or hindered you or what it taught you kind of being thrown in the fire. Sure, and it did. It, it came fast. I, I was uh, uh, one year out of the game. I retired um, in 2000, and, and I was, it was during that 9-11 period. So it was kind of one of those significant moments in your life where you're, you know, an incident like that happens, and then you're like, wow, is hockey really, you know, what does it mean to you? And timing-wise for me, it was time for me to kind of be with my family 
kind of help the kids kind of understand what was going on. I had four young children at the time and, and, and it seemed like life was going to change after that incident. Uh, but, but hockey never left my heart. And uh, the one year off, I did some broadcasting. I did some stuff with ESPN. Uh, I did a little bit of stuff with the San Jose Sharks. And the appetite to, to get back into the game and be part of it and be part of the game. Like the broadcasting stuff kept you around hockey and the people around hockey, which is special in itself. But the, the urge to be back and be part of a team was uh, never left me. And I think that's, that's what I was as a player. You know, from the day I, I was born, I picked up a hockey stick and I was part of a team. And when you take that away from you, um, you realize how important it is to you and, and really your identity and what you are. And uh, so, I, so I was lucky. I get a call from the Colorado Avalanche probably seven or eight months after being retired. Uh, Brian Trache was an assistant coach there. He had gotten a head job with the Rangers. They uh, had filled out a, a, a kind of a – they threw names on paper and said, you know, who's available for us? And then they kind of tried to build what they thought would be important qualities of, of that – coach to have to bring to the organization and I kind of fit the criteria for what they were looking for and they called me in for an interview uh, over the summer I flew in the day I got the call to meet Bob Hartley uh, it was in June I left the, the little league field where I was coaching my son's uh, baseball team included them <laughs> for the interview unfortunately I got the job and um, the, the good thing for me is my last probably four years in San Jose, I was brought there as, a, as a, an experienced player to help a really young team try to grow to, to understand, you know, what it was like to be an old pro and try to, try to add some uh, things to a locker room from a leadership perspective that maybe earlier in my career I wasn't asked to do. Uh, so, so Dean Lombardi, the GM of, of San Jose at the time, brought me in and said, hey, listen, we got all these young kids there. I want you to teach them on what being a pro is all about. You know, your, the work ethic part of it, the commitment part of it, the, the battle level, the, the practice habits, uh, and, and that type of thing. So I think I started coaching prior to uh, the end of my career, and I think that kind of helped me in the transition. But, but like you said, I got thrown into it fast because just a few months into the job, uh, our team was underperforming. Uh, we had a very experienced team. We had Patrick Juan and Net. We had Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg, Rob Blake, Adam Foote, Milan Hayduke, Alex Tangay. We had talent, mm -hmm. and, and we had a team that should should be winning and and, and performing at an elite level. And we were just mediocre. And uh, so a change needed to be made. Uh, they fired uh, Bob Hartley. Uh, as they fired Bob Hartley in one room, they pulled me into another room and said, "Hey, uh, we're firing Bob. We want you to take over." And uh, I'll never forget that moment because you're like, holy cow, I'm, as an assistant coach, you're just kind of figuring out, you know, how to run some drills, how to organize the meetings, how to get the videos ready. And, and all of a sudden you're asked to coach Patrick Waugh and, and all the other guys that you mentioned. So it was, uh, uh, I guess, a, a real big surprise. I didn't think that, that I would be asked to do that. But at the point, I kind of realized why it was done. Uh, you know, we were underachieving. They needed just a, uh, the guys needed to get to the rink and have fun again, and they needed to, to go relax and play. And uh, they needed a player that could relate to them. Uh, you know, I just like you said, been out of the game for a year as a player, uh, so they they needed a, a new new direction. And and so was I experienced enough to handle some of the things that came at me? No way. 
no way. I mean, I, I still feel, you know, I've, I've been coaching now for 20 plus years and every day you're looking for new ideas, new ways to try to get better and grow as a coach. So, so from that perspective, no, but from the situation of what the avalanche needed at that time, was I the right guy? I honestly believe that that, that was the, the right decision. We had a great run. We were 13 points out of uh, uh, behind Vancouver for the race for our ninth straight division title. That was really important to the organization to win that ninth division title in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we did it. We, we caught Vancouver on the last day of the season. Uh, we finished the regular season on a tr- tremendous run. Uh, and then we ran into a, a pesky team in Minnesota in the first round. We lost in seven games where, where it was one of those series where you play really, really well and things don't go your way. And the goalie makes his, their key saves at the right time. And they get, you know, so we, we, we had a, a great finish to that year. It just didn't, playoffs didn't go as well as, as everyone expected. And certainly that, that, that we expected, but, but, uh, but it was a great learning experience to go, to get thrown kind of to the wolves. And, and one of the things I remember most about it is, is I was a new coach. I had Jacques Cloutier, who was, I think, the most loyal, um, hardworking, dedicated assistant coach, uh, was, was my assistant coach at the time. We didn't have anybody else on staff. It was him and I running an NHL team for probably two months before we were able to hire Rick Tockett as an assistant coach to join us on the bench. So not only uh, was I looking for an assistant coach for a month and a half, I was going through the, the, uh, the, the part of, of figuring out how to run an NHL team. Uh, but it was a great experience. I learned a ton. I, I learned from the players I had. Patrick Waugh, one of the greatest competitors you'll ever, ever, ever face. I watched, I watched that Michael Jordan thing like everybody else in the sports world did. And there were lots of qualities that Patrick had that Michael had. Yeah. He wanted to win that bad. And, and he had a standard for himself. And, and, uh, and I had Joe Sackick, one of the greatest captains and leaders that you could ever have. Peter Forsberg, one of the greatest players ever, Blakey. And, and a lot of Hayduke who had an MVP type of year that year as well. So I had lots of guys to learn from uh, and grow with that, that, uh, that helped me as, as well during that process. You raised something in your, your first answer there that I want to circle back on was around that idea of, you know, when a, when a coaching change is made and the need to get back to having fun. And it seems to happen a lot, doesn't it, where, you know, it, it's almost the equivalent of, of squeezing the stick too hard. Like when, when, when things aren't going your way as a coach, you kind of squeeze the stick too hard in terms of your players and add more rules and, you know, try to, try to get them going with, with it, this or that. But then you do see when a, when a new coach comes in, they just remove all the rules, get back to having fun boys. And I just, I've always found that a really interesting dynamic and, and watching across sports as I do is you just see it in every sport. But, but I think it's real. I think as, as a player, you remember you get into some routines where they just become complacent. You don't even realize that you're kind of getting stale with your preparation you know, the coach's message, if, it, if it's consistently the same thing and it's kind of blah, it's, there's nothing, there's no spark to it. You know, at some point you, you stop, you, you tune them out a little bit. And, and as a player, you never try to do that. I mean, trust me, you know, the, the, the biggest mark on a player and a team is, okay, the coach is gone. Well, why is the coach gone? The players are underperforming. So as a player and as a team, you have to take some responsibility upon yourself to say, hey, you know, I kind of like that guy and he was good for me. I played on the 
first line. He did, you know, he had my back and all of a sudden I let him down. So I think just that thing as a player, you're inspired by the fact that, geez, I'm responsible for that. I better get my uh, rear end going here. And I think it's a wake up call for players in lots of different ways. And I don't think teams, you know, I've seen, I've seen teams that, that are tired of their coach. I've seen teams that say, hey, I'd rather have somebody in here. And they don't perform as well. And they look flat. And the excitement and pizzazz that, that they normally play with isn't quite there. And are they doing it intentionally to get rid of the coach? I doubt it. I, I, I highly doubt that a professional athlete would think along those lines, hey, if we just play kind of stale for a while, we'll get rid of this guy and bring somebody else in. Because for one thing, you never know who the second one is. You never know who's following and, and as a player, you don't get the choice. You don't say, hey, I like that guy over there. I hope he's my coach someday. You, you know, that, that you leave that up to the management side of things. So, so I, I think there's a lot of, of uh, um, you know, guilt on players and teams when, when a coaching change is made and they say, hey, they, they pull each other together in the off, or into the locker room and they say, hey, guys, you know, the coach is gone. It wasn't his fault why we're struggling right now. It's, 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 let's look ourselves in the mirror here and let's get going. So I, I think there's some, some jump, an extra jump out of, out of teams that are dealing with the change in coaches. Also going back to something you, you talked about there where you had you and, and one other staff member. Now you've kind of ended up in this world where, especially at the pro level, but in pretty much all levels now, the head coaching role is almost akin to like a CEO. You've got all your performance people to look after. You've got your, your technical coaches. You've got the players themselves. You've got all these different dynamics going on and it's your responsibility to pull them all together. So, yeah, what do you, what do you make of that transition where you've gone from basically co- raw coaching to now more of this kind of CEO-style coaching where you're facilitating others and setting others up for success, not just the players. You brought it. That's a great point by you. And, and actually um, my last few years in the NHL, you saw lots of different uh, staff added. And when I say that the analytic part really became important uh, in baseball and then it carried over into our sport. Um, And then, Specialized coaching, specialized uh, departments, uh, development, nutritionists, uh, sports psychologists, they all got added to your staff uh, in a hurry. And, and I think it was the, the Joneses trying to keep up with, uh, with the neighbors down the road. You know, Pittsburgh added this. So we better add that, too, to our staff. And I think that came more from an ownership and upper management uh, decision to say, hey, if we're going to win, you know, these other organizations are adding all of these different uh, uh, roles and, and, and people to their staff. Maybe we should look into it. And I think it became a chase. I think, I think organizations started to, to just keep adding staff members. So, so I think it, it, there, there's a happy median in that mix where, where you don't want to get out of control and get in a, in a, in a, a meeting with staff and have, uh, you know, 40 people in there and each person thinks they need to bring something to the table because you, you don't get to the nut and bolts of really what's important when you're trying to build your team. And that's what I found a little bit in the NHL there. You'd go into some meetings and people felt like they had a voice and opinion or to have their footprint somehow into the mix. And they had to, they had to figure out how to get it in there. Uh, so there was, there was uh, uh, 
a little bit of uncomfortableness, I guess, between the coaching staff and the, and the big managerial groups of, of staff members that would come in and try to have input on the team and certain ideas that from a hockey perspective and a coach and a former player and someone that's in the, in the game and on the bench and in the practices and with your team 24 hours a day, somebody that's reading statistics and, and going through numbers and, and evaluations through, through something that they, they get through, well, it'd be through analytics or reports. Um, sometimes those opinions don't sit well with coaches and that becomes, you know, contradictive to what you're seeing with your own eyes and what you're feeling by being part of it. So, so I, I, I'm a little bit in between. I think there's a, there's a, a uh, there's room for, um, important people on your staff besides just your coaches. Uh, but I also think sometimes now in today's game, uh, it's getting a little carried away where, where, like I said, there becomes lots of confusion and lots of tension between those staff members. And anytime you're, you're part of a team, you have to be as one. And the more opportunities you have to have disagreements and disrespectful arguments and side, you know, different sides to it. I think there's more times you see uh, teams and staffs pull away from each other. So, so I think there's a, there's a, uh, you got to be careful on, on who's on your staff and how much uh, you add to it. That's probably the call that I get the most is from other coaches and it or, or executives and it becomes about managing silos. Yeah. Like you said, I, I came in with two coaches, Jack Clucci and I, and we ran an NHL team. And, and, and was it enough? Did we need more? Did we need guys to help us, you know, do pre-scouts? Did we need, you know, other coaches to help us uh, for practice drills? Did we need, you know, diff different people on our staff to help us in ways that we could have been more effective for sure? But, but, but just adding people and, and staff members to your staff just to have them uh, is, is the wrong idea as well. I think there's a real opportunity for us here if we want to look at it like that to create hybrids, to innovate within that world, to have assistant coaches who have, you know, strength and conditioning or assistant coaches who have analytics or, you know, there's, there's going to be ways for us to, to navigate uh, smaller staffs but still hold on to that value that they all brought. Um, so I'm really interested to see where everyone lands on, on that kind of thing. Uh, post COVID and just see who innovates and who goes back to the way things were being done. It'll be interesting. And I think from an NHL perspective, like I said, you know, lots of the ownership and even some of the upper management never played the game. They, they, they need people around them to explain what's going on. So there's always someone there selling what they bring to the table on how they can help your organization. And for that, from a management style and an ownership, perspective they think okay this is great you know I don't think we have somebody like that in our organization let's bring them in and I think that's how it's kind of grown I, I really do I think that's been kind of uh, what kicked started this uh, uh, this massive hiring in assistant coaches and and more management and more uh, you know bigger bigger staffs and, and and you know and again I don't know what is right I don't know what is wrong uh, I do know that it's different. I do know that, you know, as a coach, uh, there's lots of different challenges that are brought to the table with, with larger staffs uh, that you have to be prepared for. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a happy medium somewhere in there. 
just going through the the kind of shutdown and, and I've been speaking to a lot of coaches as I'm sure you have and and we were introduced by a, a mutual friend Oliver we we need to give you a shout out but the reason that we we really connected was it was an opportunity for us to kind of reflect on our own coaching and take a step back and, and crystallize some of the ideas and, and you know tweak the philosophy but but really have a pause to be able to do that. Not an off season, but an actual pause. So I'm interested whether you've done that and then you know, where your mind has gone uh, through this process for you. Cause you know, like we've talked about, you've, you've coached some of the greats, you, you played with the great one, like you, you've, you've played with and coached the, the, the best in the sport. And so I'm wondering where your mind has gone now that you've got some opportunity in terms of what's possible what's possible as a coach and, and how you perceive the game. Yeah. I love the way you described this because there's no chance for a coach or parent or teacher or anybody that, that's been kind of on lockdown for this period of time that would have had this opportunity to kind of reflect on where you are as a person, as a professional, uh, as uh, uh, you know, and what your role is uh, uh, in whatever that, you know, job you might have. So so I've done a ton of reflection. Uh, I've, uh, as a coaching staff, uh, we meet uh, on the phone uh, two or three times a week, um, and we have a, a um, facilitator in the group leading conversations like we're having right now to really dissect who we are as coaches and what we want to be uh, as we come out of this. And uh, you know, I think over the years, um, with the way things have gone. Um, I've changed in ways that I don't like the way I've changed. Um, so I've kind of reflected back to saying what I was like when I was a coach in Colorado. The most important thing to me was my relationship with those players. That's where I spent all my time. I spent all my time with Patrick Waugh, with Peter Forsberg, with Joe Sackett, with Rob Blake, with Adam Foote. And they needed to know me. I needed to know them. And they needed to trust me. And, and it was built in a way – where that's the, that's what I was good at. That's where my strengths were. And, and, and I think that that, as you get into it and then you learn, okay, well, this is important. And then you got to throw this into the mix. And then you have to, you kind of lose who you are as a coach because you're trying to chase everything else that everybody else is doing. And you lose your focus on what's important to you and, and who you are as a coach. So, so we've gone back and this is as simple as this. We've re-identified what our core values are, what my core values are as a person and as a coach and what's important to me. And from that, we've, we've put ourselves in a position where we all understand each other better uh, through these, these uh, meetings that are led by our facilitator. And, and that's what we want to bring back to when we do start coaching again. And so I think this has been, for me, uh, a, a perfect opportunity um, kind of, you know, I've been into it now for, like I said, a long time and to, to take a time out to reevaluate who I am as a coach and make the adjustments and, and get back to what, you know, your core values are and bring that back to the table. So that's where we're at. Um, I'm not going to come back and all of a sudden come up with a new game plan of, okay, we're going to change completely how we play or anything like that. I think it's going back to the fundamentals of, of, of leadership that's that's most important to me uh, on how I teach and how our players uh, understand uh, what you know we're trying to bring to, to them and to our team. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's been the same for me as well. 
I have a lot of time in between, you know, we're, we're tournament based. So I have a lot of time in between that to reflect, but there has never been a better time to learn from other coaches. You know, I've been the biggest idea thief in the world, I think through this period. And I mean, even looking at us having a conversation with you, the head coach of the university of Wisconsin's hockey team and, uh, and an Australian Aussie rules coach having a chat about leadership philosophy and, I think there's so much value there to be able to, to learn both within our domain, but also, you know, across sports, across disciplines. How often do you look outside of hockey for ideas or where, where do you tend to pull from when you do get opportunities to, to speak to people outside? I love what you said when you said you're a thief and, and I look at it as a different way as, as you're just trying to be a learner. You're trying to get better. Yeah. You know, that's what we're asking our players to do every day. And, and as a coach, um, the day you think you know it all is probably the day you should retire. And, you know, I, we brought up Oliver, David, there, who coaches a USHL team, who is a great friend of mine. He coached my son, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, and he was a, he was a raw coach. He was like me going into the Colorado Avalanche, and he was going to run a, a North American League junior team where, where he said, geez, I, you know, I, I need some direction here. I need to learn from somebody. i got to figure out what to do. But he was hungry as could be for ideas. And, and the principles of what he represents as a coach is when I get Oliver David as my coach, I'm going to go through the wall for him because he cares. He understands the importance of building relationships with, with kids and he shows vulnerability. And I think that's the one thing that, that's important as a coach is to, to let your players know you're not perfect. Everything you say and, and do, it comes from a philosophy and, and things that you believe in. But they're not going to be the end-all, be-all where, where what I say and what I do is, is the perfect and, 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 and I haven't done anything um, that I wish I did differently. So you, you have to show some, some vulnerability to your players. I'm still trying to learn. You know, there's, there's some things here that, that, that uh, um, I think are really important lessons for your players to know. And, and that, that's one of them. And, um, you should be confident. You should be, be um, in a position as a coach where you're, you're sending a message that you believe in. But, but again, ultimately it comes down to the, 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 the old thing of do your players trust what you're bringing to the table that's going to help them. And, and from that standpoint, you know, you're always looking for ways to, to build on that trust. And I think there's lots of ways in that relationship that you have with your players uh, that you can you can grow in that area. Hundred percent, and that's a great segue actually, because I want to talk to you about the idea of building trust with modern athletes. It's it's such a, a huge topic in coaching. You've seen, like we talked about, you've seen the the top of the top. You're working with college kids. Where do you sit on on the the conversation around this generation in, in inverted commas? And, and the athlete and how they're different, if they are different. Where do you sit on all that? Well, you know, I, again, I think it goes back to trying to learn what the athlete is like and what they need to get from you. And from a relationship standpoint, I need them to perform at an elite level and to, to, to perform to help our team and our program and, 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 and that. They also need something from me. They, they need 
they need to know that they're going to grow. They need to know that, that I'm going to help them become better. They need to know that I'm looking out for them as well. So, so there's different, um, you know, kids that come into our college program. Some are first round picks that, that are going to be in the NHL in one year. Some of them that are first round picks think they should be in the NHL before they get to your program. So you get a whole different dynamic on how they think. So I think individually you got to look at each one of, of your athletes and understand what their needs are for, you know, th that how they can fit into your team. But you, you have to think differently on how you're going to communicate and how you're going to get your message across to them. So I think the, the communication part, the relationship part of building the trust with them uh, is so there's so many different layers to it that uh, with today's athlete than, than I think there used to be. I think some of the athletes that come in here now for, for us um, have all specialized coaches. They, they had a skating coach. They had a, they had a nutritionist. They have their dad telling them what they need to do. They have a, a sports advisor slash agent that has a group of 15 people under him trying to get to the kid to try to help them in different ways. They get their NHL team that drafted them. That's got their general manager, their player development guy, their strength and conditioning coach, their whatever. They get lots of different noises coming from different directions that they're all trying that he's trying to answer to and and trying to make them feel like um, what he's doing is right. So, so there, I guess there's more noise that you're dealing with with younger players. But again, it goes back to building that relationship of trust to have them look at you and say, "Okay, coach." You know, I understand you. I'm listening to you. I, I, I'm following you. And, and if you can gain the, that relationship and he can gain that confidence in you that you're going to help him, um, I, I think that's the most important thing you can have in, in trying to get through to your younger players. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I've got a huge range. I'm, I'm open age men, obviously. So I have everything from, well, an 18-year-old who's, you know, fast becoming one of our better players and going to be part of our program for a, a decade if he sticks it out and is already committed to, to going to Australia to play uh, on his own, um, right the way up to 36, so actually older than me. So, you know, I, I've got a huge range, but I would concur wholeheartedly with what you said there is, is that when you strip it back, there's fundamentals in there. And the fundamentals are that communication. Like we're professional communicators. That's what we do. It's, it, it's no more complicated than that. Here's an idea I have about how we can win this game, hockey, Aussie rules. And that it's my duty to communicate that to you. The, the mediums in which we do that are now more dynamic. One of the big things I've been talking to a lot of coaches about is just we're really finding that nuance between an email is not the same as a text. It's not the same as a phone call and it's not the same as a Zoom call. Like you and I are looking at each other right now. And, and yeah. But if you think about that, there's, there's no more just blanket communication anymore. There's that, I've just named four different ways for us to communicate that from a coaching perspective, you need to know the nuance. You need to know how that, that person's going to receive that message, whether that message is going to be good enough. Some players are fine with a text. Others want to see your eyes. You know, there's a there's a, a whole new level to it. But at the, the end of the day, I don't think athletes communicate less. I think they probably communicate more because it's easier for them digitally. Uh, you just got to find a way to, to get in there and, and build that trust in, in the realm that they want you to, to be in with them. Well said. And, and it's so true. Uh, you know, 
<clears throat> you look at that some of the things that are important to players <clears throat> in today's society, and some of it is their image, you know, and some of it is driven by the social media, and, and they want to be perceived, and they have a brand on what they think they are, and they want to be perceived that way. And you do have to take that into consideration. It's different than it used to be in a locker room where a player worried about what his teammates thought of him, what his coach thought of him, what his general manager thought of him. That was the most important thing. Now, when you look at the picture of the way society is, some of our, the younger players, it's important of, like I said, what image they perceive that they brand out to be. And, and you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's, it's the way it is. And you do have to, you know, understand their side of it and what's important to it. And then when you do that and, and you let them know you understand that, then you can bring them into what you understand is important for your team, for your development of that player. And if he sees the combination of, okay, well, I can still be this guy, but I can still fit into the team. And this is what the coach wants me to do to be, and I can still have both of them. You can't take that other part away from them and say, hey, you're wrong. That's not, that's not what you're supposed to, to be as a kid. You have to understand them a little bit better and from there grow with him. And, and, I, and, and again, you know, you're, you're, you've got a whole of uh, players to coach from 18 to 36. Some of your old timers might be old school and not know what a tweet is or not know what social media is. And then you got these, these kids that come in that have been, you know, since they were eight years, they're, they're, they're looking at their phone to find out you know, how the world's going and, and how the world's looking at them. And, and that is, that's the way it is. So we, you know, as coaches, we talk about this often, um, you know, of, of are we communicating our messages, like you just said, the right way to our players for them to understand on what their is of, of getting that message through them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's, it's, it's that empathy piece. It's, look, some of these stadiums now, soccer stadiums, basketball stadiums, they have, you know, hairdressers in them. So the players can go and get a, get a haircut before they... Now, you and I can sit here and say, well, that's dumb, but it's not because it's important to them. And, and that's all that really matters. And, you know, I, I think, again, when you, when you strip away all the nonsense around it is that to me says they want to belong and, and belonging is, is built in at a, at a DNA level into human beings. So if you start to go along that plane, they want to belong to your team as well. They want to belong in the social sphere and make sure they've got the right haircut and the right shoes and all that sort of stuff. That's fine, but that's just natural. And, and so the way that they're, they're projecting that out into the world might be different to, to the way that we did it previously, but I think it's still the same thing. I think that's what we need to really be cautious of is I feel like history is repeating itself. It's just slightly different. We're still human beings. Absolutely. And just like, just like you and I, they have core values. They have their beliefs. They have their goals. Um, they have their behavior patterns that, that they have in, in their routines and everything. And, and you're just trying to, to understand them uh, in a different way than, than, you know, you used to, like, like I said, when, when you came into it and you had Joe Sackick and you had, Peter Forsberg and Patrick Wan, they had a different mentality. They grew up in a different era. They had different focus points. And this generation or, the, or every, every generation that comes through changed a little bit on, on, uh, on those behavior patterns, on those thought patterns, on, on their values. So 
um, understanding them is, is, you know, you want them to understand you, but your first job on for them is I think you have to understand your players before they can understand you. And, and, and it's like you said, stripping it down and, uh, um, that'll give you the best chance for your, you know, for making those players, uh, fit into what your values are, your core values. We can bring up core values because that's really what it's all about. You want your team to have the same values that bring the team in the locker room to understand that if our team plays a certain way and has that mentality that we all kind of believe in, you're going to have a better chance for success. If everybody's got different ideas and different values to what it is, you know, things don't work. You mentioned your your values before. Tell me, how do you like to play? What what do you guys value? Because I love hearing this from other coaches. You know, the competitiveness part of the work ethic part of it, the grit part of it. I think that's everybody's goal to say, "Hey, we got to have a hardworking team." I mean, that that that's just as an athlete and and as a being part of a team that that's the norm. You have to have that. Um, the, the the thing that I always it, it's a pretty simple statement of of you got to play for the guy next to you you got to understand and respect the player next to you to have success and one of the greatest um, compliments as a player that that you could leave a rink with uh, that you could leave a season with or a career with is man I love playing with you. And they don't say, man, you're a great player. You scored a lot of great goals and, and whatever. There's a different meaning to what, you know, man, I love playing with you means. And, and, and when I go back on all of my teams that I was fortunate enough to play for and coach, I remember the guys that played for the guy next to him. And that's a simple statement. But what that means is they're willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes to make the guy next to him better, to be there for him, to have his back. Uh, to to understand that if he makes a mistake, you pat him on the back and you say, "Hey, let's go. We're gonna, you know, we'll get we'll get that, that one back for you." Or don't worry about it, you know, whatever. There, there's a there's a, 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 a caring that I care more about you and your success than than I care about mine. And it doesn't have to be that way, but if you show your teammate that that's the way you know you care that much about them, it goes a long way. So I think that's what you want to try to create. How you get there and how you get your players to understand that. Um, there's different paths and ways of doing it, but but ultimately, I think that's the nut and bolts of what a team has to have to win. You watch the last dance. Everybody that's a sports fan or part of a team, or 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 or, or, or heard about the Bulls has to watch it, and you will learn more in that you know ten segment show about about exactly that. And there were times when when Scottie Pippen didn't go into the game where you looked at, okay, well, he's not playing for the guy next to him, but bam, Phil Jackson, all of the core values that he instilled in that team and the confidence and belief that they had in one another, they got right back into the locker room. They addressed it. They communicated with it clearly on, on why it wasn't part of the culture and why it didn't fit into the values of the team. And bang, they get right back on track because Dennis Rodman was going to play for Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was going to play for Michael Jordan. Steve Kerr was going to step up and make it because they were playing for one another. And I think that is really what every sports team should try to look at and say, how do I get our guys to understand what that means and how to do it? I've tried to be quite provocative around that show just on Twitter and asking coaches, like, what, what is this friction 
challenging within your methodology in, in that we, we kind of gravitated towards this all needs to fit together nicely. And then you go and watch the last dance and, and there was friction and there was constant friction and there was friction between the silos that we were talking about earlier, or at least in terms of how it's presented. And, and where I'm going with this is I, I think we, one of the things we do need to reflect on is that dynamic in that it doesn't need to look perfect. Like you said, there's multiple ways for this to happen. We can be the most driven team on the planet, butt heads, but still run through a wall for each other. And yeah, I, I, I'm just cautious of this idea of some sort of singularity in terms of teams and how it should be and how everyone should play nice and, you know, we talk about culture and that means that no one steps out of line. It's like, no, 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 we can still have a, a high performing unit where, you know, Dennis rolls off a plane at 2am from Vegas and, and is in the game at 7pm the next night. And, and Phil has really shown us that that's possible from a leadership perspective as well to, to pull together. Now he's a magic, he's a magic man. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we shouldn't uh, take our cues from him necessarily. But Yeah. And I, I think the points you're bringing up is every team's going to have some sort of conflict. And when that conflict happens, address it, sit down, be clear on, uh, on, on the direction you're going to go once that, you know, once you identify what that conflict is and then it's over, then you move forward. Then the, then the, they throw the ball up in the air and it's, it's the game's underway and they're on the court and it's game time. Like they say, and, and they were able to do that in a, in a special way. And I think, you know, like you said, every team is going to have different sorts of conflicts and it's not going to look perfect all the time. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, one, what you want to get to is when you're in your environment and you're on the court or you're on the ice, or you're on the field, you're in that zone of, of looking at the guy next to you and, and the mentality of what we just talked about of I got your back, you got mine because it's showtime. Uh, that's that's what you can get out of that that Bulls team is because when the when the, uh, the tip off was started and and they were in that you know two hour zone for game time they were in it for each other and how they created that how they got there was a unique way um, like you said there were so many different personalities and dynamics that went into it but what they had was and this is what you look at it and you say okay how did Phil do it. Every single one of those players looked at Phil Jackson with respect because they trusted that what Phil was going to do was going to be right for the group as a whole. Individually, he was going to allow Dennis to be Dennis. Individually, he was going to allow Michael to be Michael and Scotty, you know, all of that. But ultimately, what he had is he had their backs. Even through the Jerry Krause thing, when Jerry Krause had his, all his things with the entire team, he still found a way to have his players backs through that inside with management mm -hmm. didn't say, Hey, you guys, you know, uh, you're, you're treating Jerry unfairly or anything like that. He was honest about how it was, uh, what was the dynamics of those relationships and found a way to pull those guys together through all of that. And, and I think it goes back to just that the relationships you have with the players built on the trust, respect, and the growth of, of, Hey, I'm going to make all you guys, better if we can understand what what we are as a team so that, that was special i completely agree with with your idea around the guy next to me and i gave a talk recently in in new york city to a business audience about just as much in that i i kind of disagree with 
this idea of, you know, the, these huge grand visions and grand goals, because ultimately, and you know this as a player, winning a championship's not on your mind when you're out there on the ice. It's that guy. I got to, I got to help that guy. And, you know, same in the battlefield. It's not about winning the war when you're actually in it. It's, it's about, I got to protect my guys. And I think there's, there's a huge lesson there for us in that, yes, we, we do need to have our, our vision and we've got to be working towards a championship or the top of our mountain or whatever it is, but how we actually get there is what you just described. I need to look after this guy and that guy because they sit next to me in the locker room and they're out there on the ice, on the court, on the field with me. And that's all that really matters. And I, I think that gets lost. It really does. I think we just have this idea that, you know, we, Apple just said, hey, we're going to create an iPhone and then they just went and did it. No, they, they put a team of human beings together. The leaders had their backs like he talked about and they worked for each other. And, and, yeah, I, th- I don't think there's enough discussion around that because I, I, I fundamentally believe what you just said to be true 100% of the time. That's how you get there. I, I, I do. And, and no matter what, you know, what your message is to a team on, on what style of play you play, um, what the game plan is for that particular game, uh, what time curfew is, All that stuff is irrelevant if you can get your guys to understand what what that really means. And and again, you know, sometimes younger players don't quite understand that. But as you go along and and you give them examples and you bring in different chances for you to teach what that is, at some point you hope that they, they, it just becomes a natural thing to them. So when they're on the bench and, and teammates gets hit from behind. How do you respond in that situation? One of your teammates blocks a big shot for you after you made a turnover at the, at the blue line and he saves your bacon uh, by, by, by making a big defensive play. Your goalie makes a big save for you. Uh, you know, just to be able to, to, to be smart enough on the team dynamic of it to show the appreciation for those contributions starts that growth for the player next to you to say, okay, he just recognized that I blocked the shot for him. I'm going to do it again. Or, or in the first period, uh, he made a great defensive play that prevented me from getting a minus. So when he's on the ice, I'm going to make sure that I, I do something for him. There, that's where I think the growth and understanding of, of what that means becomes real. Usually I, I would ask what you've been up to away from the game, but you've been watching the last dance. So there's 10 hours of your time. But have you, <laughs> have, you, uh, have you found anything else that's obscure or off the wall that you've found on Netflix or Wikipedia or a book or something that someone's recommended? You know, I, I, what you mentioned earlier is you, you're talking to other coaches and other uh, people that you respect to try to, to – uh, you know, have open conversations, uh, that you would, that it's an opportunity to do that, to get their full attention to the question you're asking. Normally during a hockey season, you know, you call up a buddy and you say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, have you ever had something like this happen? And you start talking and and you realize, crap, they got other things that they got going through their minds and you kind of have a, you get a quick little response from them and then you start talking about something else here. You got, you know, a better opportunity to really pick people's brains like we are right now 
and, and open up to, to the different layers of things that go into coaching and relationships and team building and all the other stuff that, that I think, you know, for me, as I reach out to lots of uh, uh, coaches and players and family members that are, that have dealt with uh, different situations to kind of get um, open conversations going similar to the one we had here today. You know, I, I go through this conversation. There's some things that I wrote down that I want to go through with our coaches that we just talked about because uh, we're going to talk later today. Uh, I meet with our coaching staff twice a week, and, and we just start throwing different things out there, like like today's you know conversation went, and and kind of grow and learn and and uh, um, try to identify where we're going to go next week when we have this conversation. How are we growing as coaches? So so yeah, I've I've reached out to to lots of former uh, coaches and that I've worked with, former players. I, uh, there's lots of players that are currently playing in the game that I've I've referred back to on, on the last dance what they're taking out of it as a current player what they're learning from it from Michael and from the other players um, so so I think that's kind of where my thought pattern is has been on, on what I'm trying to learn through this whole thing love that yeah me too uh, and, and those have been fascinating as well because they like you said not only do you have the attention but there's a global vulnerability that we can all understand and very rarely does that happen i think there's maybe three three times that i can think of and it's kind of like the great great recession great war and now you know this is the great reset so it it, from a coaching perspective and i've been imploring all of my guys and, and other coaches to just talk to human beings don't worry about x's and o's like because this is very rarely does it happen where every single person on planet earth understands what every single other person is going through to a certain extent. This says really important. Don't worry about X's and O's because X's and O's right now, um, when, when you're trying to build a team, uh, you know, you can have a game plan and you have to have structure in your game plan. That's important. All the things we talked about, about values, about, uh, um, playing for the guy next to you, uh, about relationships, about the trust thing are far, they, they, they're they a hundred to one times more important than, than your actual X's and O's that go into a game. And if you, and, and those are the things that we can, we can uh, build on right now. We have that opportunity as a staff, as coaches, players relationship to build and grow uh, in different ways than we, we, we never would have been able to do. And if you can take advantage of that, uh, I think it's it's a, uh, something that will pay dividends down the road. Coach, thank you. I've made a ton of notes as well. I'm sure everyone listening in has as well. Uh, it's been an absolute delight. We both owe Oliver a beer for making the introduction. Yeah. But, uh, thanks for your time today, mate. I've uh, I've learned a lot, and thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, Cody. Thank you. It was great, and uh, and let's keep in touch here and and do it again.